taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we step into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, and Ronan, Montana. <laughs> this is the Bellator Christie Podcast with yours truly, Brian Shilton and Curtis Evelo. We're bringing you the word of the Lord here on Holy Week. First Peter 3.18 tells us that Christ also suffered once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring to you bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. And you may be wondering, what are we celebrating? Well, I have something to celebrate, and that is that I just finished my dissertation. Uh, it's now in the hands of the committee, so pray that everything runs smoothly with them, and that we can truly have a celebration here coming very soon. Hopefully, uh, we'll be looking to defend very soon. And so, uh, just be much in prayer for that. And I think we also can celebrate the fact that we have a risen Savior. And that's something to celebrate this week. Most importantly, that's the most important thing to celebrate. So, welcome to the Bellator Christie Podcast. We're going to turn it over to Curtis Evelo to start. Well, hello everyone. Man, oh man, oh man, what a day. Uh, this whole week has been uh, coming up to coming up to today, um, recording the podcast. Just been something special for me to just consider everything that we've been able to accomplish with Bellator Christie and what God's been doing in it, and and just the blessing of when Brian sent that message across that he had sent his uh, uh, dissertation out. It was done. He got the last chapter done. It was I was I was actually cheering for him like wow, and really. For real, Brian, I cannot believe that it actually, um, you know, is finished. I mean, it's just been kind of like this ongoing thing for so long that it's it's been pretty cool. What is the uh, you you said now you have to defend uh, defend your dissertation? What does that actually look like for those of us that you know have never really understood that? I, it'd be kind of I'm curious to find out what that means. So what what happens now is the dissertation is to, to answer your question. Let me just explain the process. So so what happens now is the uh, dissertation is in the hands of the committee. So you have a chair and you have two readers, and what they'll do is they'll go through the uh, project and if they have anything that they think needs to be strengthened, uh, anything they they think needs to be corrected, uh, they'll send me back uh, information and then I'll have the opportunity to correct those things. And if there are disagreements, we'll, we'll work those things out. Uh, through the process and then after all is said and done and everyone's in agreement uh, then we'll have a defense which is um, normally held either in person or through uh, Microsoft Teams or another app like that and what it'll be is uh, that I'll give a pre- little presentation on on the project and then uh, answer any questions that the uh, committee has and then if everybody's good if everything goes well then uh, um it would be said to be defended, 
<laughs> so so they, they'll they'll uh, they'll ask questions they'll they'll you know ask things about what I was thinking here what I was thinking there um, you know if pick things uh, through the uh, the project that uh, needs further clarification and ultimately is to see whether the project is defendable and so that's why they call it defense I mean and some and some schools some well not schools some places they may be uh, push a little farther to see you know have you considered this or have you considered that you know things of that nature but from what I've been told is everything is really amicable and uh, yes I will probably be a nervous wreck the day that it happens but uh, (laughs) praying for God's God's spirit to guide me through and I know he will so uh, just looking forward to that day and then at that time and once I send it into the school it will be pH done and I am really looking forward to that time and we've got some more music arranged for that day that celebration we'll have (laughs) when that is officially done and um, looking forward to that that's good stuff. Yeah, I'm sure probably that day is going to be kind of like a a forced fast because you're going to be like, I ain't eating nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe some green bars or something like that. That'd be about it. Oh man. Yeah, that's interesting. So I, I hope that yours is going to be uh, in person. That'd be quite intriguing, quite a cool to see. That would be cool. I mean, if yeah, if I had my choice, it would be that way. But you know, depends on. Of course, the convenience side is, you know, more on the online thing. So uh, it just mm-hmm. it just depends how it all works. But we'll, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna get into um, our messianic prophecies. Um, this is the second part of that, and we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and get into that um, here right now. So this is episode twenty six. And as we enter into what's actually happening as Jesus is making it towards the cross, we're seeing prophecies from the past um, actually being uh, brought forth and actually told as Jesus is fulfilling them. All the way up to the cross, we're seeing that right now. And so that's what, kind of what we're going to be covering is, is that is that actual time period right now. So... Let's go ahead and dig right into it. Um, so we're going to call this one the betrayal and crucifixion. Um, number one question, the first one, do any Old Testament prophecies speak of betrayal of the Messiah? Yeah, and there's an interesting story in Zechariah, and, and we probably need to wait until this story in its completion uh, a little later in the podcast because it'll really make another passage of Scripture make better sense if we do that then. Uh, but we'll just simply say it right now that in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 through 13, um, there's a presentation given of, of a good shepherd in this in this passage of scripture uh, comparable to what you would see in Psalm 23 you find here in Zechariah um, just to give just a slight background and we'll come back to this so so this we'll repeat this a little bit later in the podcast but it, um, Israel post Babylonian exile it's important to place Zechariah in the time frame in which he was written this is after after the uh, the Babylonian exile, they're back in Jerusalem, back in Israel. The land was full of false shepherds, false prophets, false shepherds. And so there's a presentation in chapter 11 given of a, of a, of a good shepherd. And um, 
so we see even in verse 4, the Lord my God says, The shepherd the flock intended for slaughter, those who buy them slaughter them but are not punished. Um, so in verse 12 through 13, um, it talks about eventually the the good shepherd is rejected. And again, we're going to come back to this theme here in just a few moments. But what we see in verse 11, verses 12 through 13 it says, uh, Then I said to them, If it seems right to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. So they weighed my wages 30 pieces of silver. Okay, we're going to come back to this. We're going to come back to this. What we find here is that they had all these bad prophets, these bad shepherds who were not concerned about the sheep. They, they would run whenever the predators came. They wouldn't protect them against the predators. They went and ran. God sends them a good shepherd, but what do they do? They reject them. And so we're going to come, just keep that in mind as we go through the passages of Scripture. We're going to come back to this a little bit later on, and so uh, we'll give a more a fuller explanation uh, when we come back to this in a few questions. Yeah, and then so you've got another verse in Psalm 69. Yeah, Psalm 69, verse 25 and um, this this is a psalm of David, as many of these um, as these psalms are. Psalm sixty nine uh, is is the second most quoted psalm behind Psalm one ten. Uh, so it seems to be that some of the things that uh, some of the ways in which David was betrayed, the Messiah would also be betrayed as well. Now the interesting thing is is if you go on down to uh, verse eight. Uh, he says, so I'm sorry, verse, uh, well, he says, verse 8, he says, I've become a stranger to my brothers and a foreigner to my mother's sons. Uh, we see this betrayal that he has, but going on down to verse 25, he says, uh, pour their fortic- make their fortication, fortication desolate, may no one live in their tents. And some people may see this saying, well, how would this be the Messiah? Well, what we find is, is that the judgment of God is based on the righteousness of God, and really even the love of God, because He gives everyone an opportunity to to repent, as as we'll see in Zechariah, as we see what happens in the case of the Messiah. God is giving individuals good shepherds, good individuals, but the people keep rejecting them. And so what does God do? He turns them over to their wills and desires. And so when he does that, of course, that brings uh, that brings um, judgment. They, in many ways, they bring judgment upon themselves. Now, let's go over to 1 John, uh, and this will help us understand this as well. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. 1 John 2, 18. And John says... Children, it is the last hour, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now many many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. So what John shows, what the Scripture shows, is yes, there is an end-time Antichrist, but there have been many Antichrists, plural, prior to the last Antichrist. Now the last Antichrist is going to be the worst. But we see this continuity between individuals who rise up and stand against the people of God. And so, as happened with David, so will also happen with Jesus, the Messiah. And as happened with Jesus, the Messiah, so should the child of God anticipate others betraying them. And then ultimately, 
the ultimate betrayal will be by the Antichrist, capital A, the Antichrist, at the end of time. So it's leading up to um, to, to this ultimate betrayal uh, by, this, by, by uh, one who is an advocate for Satan himself, uh, the Antichrist. But it follows along in line with this. Now we also come to another psalm. Uh, this is Psalm 109. Uh, Psalm 109, verse 8. And Curtis, how about reading that for us, if you will, sir? Verse 8, it says, May his days be few, may another take his office. Okay, so here again, we see this is where David was um, betrayed. Now, he is talking about here, if you go over to 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22, you're going to see that David is betrayed by a guy by the name of Doeg, the Edomite, Doeg the Edomite. So Doeg betrayed David and told Saul about uh, David stopping in an area. Well, when he does this, and again, you can find this in 1 Samuel 21, verse 7, and 1 Samuel 22, verses 9 through 23. When Doeg betrayed, uh, Doeg's betrayal, I should say, led to the death of a priest's family. So the betrayal that Doeg had against David led to the death of a priest. So there are some connections. If you tie this back to the historical story of David, there are some connections of a betrayal happening to the ultimate priest being Jesus, and that uh, that we see. Now, now here, you know, some people will say, "Well, that's a little bit of a stretch." Well, not really, if you keep it in its proper context and see what happened. There are some links there that one could take, and um, and uh, if nothing else, it may be a shadow or a typology of Christ, but still, there's a connection to the uh, sacrifice of a priest due to the betrayal of uh, one wicked man against a righteous man. Hmm. So what Old Testament prophecies speak of mocking that the Messiah endured? Well, a lot of, a lot of this will come to uh, Psalm 22. Um, <laughs> we we so this is to the choir director according to what's called the Deer of the Dawn, another Psalm of David. It's interesting. A lot of the Messianic songs Psalms are attributed to David. Now let's stop before we go any further any further and look at verse one. What does it say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sure. When Jesus from the cross uh, said these words. He was quoting not only this verse, but he was referencing the entire psalm. And this right. messianic psalm speaks to the betrayal uh, not only of David uh, and the mocking that he endured, but also uh, it speaks to the mocking and betrayal that Jesus would have. Uh, let, let's listen. Hmm. Mm. <sighs> yeah, you know what? Powerful stuff. Let, Let's just read this whole thing real quickly. I know it's long. Let's just read this whole thing, because, and then I'm going to yeah. reference verse 7 here again. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. Now think of Jesus on the cross when you mm -hmm. hear these words. Uh, but you were holy and thrown, even despite the rejection he had. Look what he says in verse 3. But you were holy and thrown on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you. They trusted and you re rescued them. 
even from the cross, Jesus pointing to this psalm was pointing to the fact that even in the throes of death itself, he knew that God was going to deliver him. Uh, They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. I am but a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Now here we go into that mocking. Now look at verse 7. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. They say he relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. Now think of the words that were said from the cross. Not only from Jesus, but the, the words said about Jesus from the high priests. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's right. <laughs> did they not see that this was pouring out the uh, the fulfillment of this psalm? Uh, he relies on the Lord. Let him save him. I mean, the, the high priest says, well, let God save him if he'll have him. Um, it was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Hey, that's a point that may be pointing back to the virgin birth, not necessarily yeah. a psalm, but uh, from Jesus's perspective. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. Uh, They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water. All my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And we'll we'll talk about, we'll talk, you know, that even references to the uh, thirst that he had. Uh, You put me into the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Now, we're going to come back to verse 16 uh, here in just a few moments. Uh, Let's let's make a mark of that, verse 16, um, for for later reference. Um, But that's an important thing to remember there as well. I'm trying to reach for something here and it's not coming. Okay, so verse 16. uh, A gang of evildoers have enclosed on me. Um, So that's verse 16. All right, hold on a second. 22, verse 16. All right. Um, I count all my bones. People look and stare at me. Uh, they divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. Here again, look, think about what happened to Jesus on the cross. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! But you, Lord, don't be far from away from me. My my strength come quickly to help me rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. Despite all of this, look what he does. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. Uh, For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from me, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. Think of what happens after the resurrection. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. Think of the the Philippian hymn here. 
Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. Again, think of the church age here. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. Again, when Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, when he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He is pointing to this psalm and all the fulfillment that comes through it. Yeah, that's some powerful stuff. Psalm 22 has always been one of my favorites. Mm. And then we also have uh, um, Psalm 109, verse 25. Uh, it says, I have become an object of ridicule to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads in scorn. So here again, all of this points to the fact that there would be this betrayal of the Messiah and this would lead to great ridicule and scorn, and even casting lots for his clothing. I mean, yeah. the level and degree that these prophecies were fulfilled is Precision. absolutely amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't make this stuff up. Not that's, a bit. That's the thing. is, um, Just even having, you know, eight of these prophecies fulfilling into one person is an astronomical number of chance it's unbelievable i've heard it before somebody put it together uh statistically wise and it was like it was insane it, yeah. it was totally incredible and that was only eight of them yeah and, and i think that uh if i'm not mistaken um there's a can't think of the exact number I, I, and it may have been eight but, but it seemed like i heard a number that may have been up in the 20s that jesus i mean there's no it's undeniable that jesus fulfilled these things and as something the, the odds were something like 10 to the 125th power <laughs> you can't even put that in numbers and no not at all <laughs> and and here's the thing to remember once you get to 10 to the 10th power anything beyond that is mathematically impossible it is mathematically impossible. So there's no way. Now, let me go back. Last week we were talking about Jesus riding in on a donkey, into, riding into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. Riding a donkey into Jerusalem. I'll get that right in a minute. Yes, he had control over fulfilling that prophecy. But he had no control over the way he was going to die. He had no control over what his tormentors were going to do. He had no control... <laughs> over them casting lots for his clothing, he had no control over those things. He had no control over the fact that they would choose to pierce his hands and feet. They could have chosen to do something else. Uh, he had no control over those issues, humanly speaking. Uh, for, for the as you mentioned, Curtis, the precision that we're seeing through these prophecies, there's there's it, it comes down to a point that there's only one man who can fulfill these prophecies, and if Jesus is not the Messiah. There just won't be yeah. one. <laughs> as Paul says, then we might as well just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's exactly right. Ugh. Yeah. Powerful stuff. So, do any texts refer to the thirst of the Messiah on the cross? Yeah, we read one in Psalm 22 uh, a while ago that mentioned made mention of that. Uh, and, but also in Psalm 69, verse 21, uh, we see that um, 
that it says, instead they gave me gall for, well, let me go back to verse 20. Um, uh, let's see, let's do 19. You know the insults I endure, my shame and disgrace. You're aware of all my adversaries. Insults have broken my heart, and I am in despair. I waited for sympathy, but there was none, for comforters, but found no one. Instead, they gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Mm. Now, what did they give Jesus to drink on the cross? And And just to kind of maybe cap this... Think about this. When Jesus was on the cross, the Romans, Roman soldier dipped a sponge. That sponge is part of a hygiene kit that they were given in battle. Mm. Or the Romans were given in battle. Now, let your mind go to what that sponge was actually for as far as hygiene-wise. The soldier dipped that sponge with his with his stick into the vinegar and then gave it to Jesus. So at that very moment, our Lord was one, not only fulfilling the prophecy, but also being the the very thing that a soldier would use to clean himself after he'd gone to the bathroom mm. was being shoved in our Savior's mouth. Mm. Unbelievable. So, what about uh, the Messiah's pierced side? Okay, so here we go back to Zechariah. So, let's go back to Zechariah 11, uh, 1 through 11. Um, so, they've had, bad, they've had bad shepherds. And in chapter 11, it says, Open your gates, mm-hmm. Lebanon, and fire will consume your cedars. Well, Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen. The glorious trees are destroyed. Well, oaks of Bashan, for the stately forest has fallen. Listen to the well of the shepherds, for their glory is destroyed. Excuse me, the, the, the good shepherd is on his way. For their glory is destroyed. Listen to the roar of young lions, for the thickets of the Jordan are destroyed. The Lord my God says this, Shepherd the flock intended for slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them but are not punished. Those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord because I've become rich. He's talking here about the bad shepherds. Even their own shepherds have no compassion for them. Indeed, I will no longer have compassion on the inhabitants of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Instead, I will turn everyone over to his neighbor and his king. They will devastate the land and I will not rescue it from their hand. So I the Lord shepherded the flock, intended the slaughter. He had compassion on them because they were destined for slaughter because of the false prophets, the bad shepherds, the bad shepherds they had were leading them to slaughter, the oppressed of the flock. I took two staffs, calling one favor and the other union, and I shepherded the flock. In one month, I got rid of three shepherds. I became impatient with them, and they also detested me, the false shepherds. By the way, false shepherds will nearly always detest a good shepherd. Amen? (laughs) False prophets will nearly always detest a good prophet, a prophet of God. Uh, Then I said, I will know. And the hearts of the people. And the hearts of the people. Well said. Then I said, I will no longer shepherd you. Let what is dying die. And will let what is perishing perish. Let the rest devour each other's flesh. Next, I took my staff called favor and cut it in two. Now, let's just pause there for a moment. See what happened here. We got to read between the lines a little bit. 
God himself came to be the good shepherd to the people, even though they were under the the leadership of bad shepherds who were leading them to slaughter. And God says, I'm going to take two staffs. I'm going to give you my divine favor, and I'm going to bring union to the land. Okay? And so he was leading the, the false prophets away. But the people rose up and said, we want, the, we want those other prophets instead of you. <laughs> Catch the picture of what's taking place with Jesus, who is the good shepherd. Think about his mission. Think about what he came to do. So next, I took my staff called favor and cut it in two, meaning that the favor of God was broken, annulling the covenant I had made with all the peoples. It was annulled on that day, and so the oppressed of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. In verse 12, then I said to them, if it seems right to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. So when they paid the good shepherd who was trying to get rid of all the bad shepherds, saving them from certain slaughter, certain destruction, and he wanted his wages, what did they do? They gave him 30 pieces of silver, which was the payment for an indentured servant, a slave. So they gave him a slave's wage. Think of Mm -hmm. Judas Iscariot. Mm -hmm. Think of the 30 pieces of silver. Now look also here in verse 13. Throw it to the potter, the Lord said to me. The magnificent price I was valued by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I cut into my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. So potters, now here, consider this. In Leviticus chapter 6, verse 28, potters made sacrificial vessels. That's right. Think of that. <laughs> so they took the wage they were giving the good shepherd, which was the, which was the price of a slave, and then he said, "Throw it to the potters who made the sacrificial vessels." There is just all kinds of typologies going on in this passage of scripture. So mm-hmm. you follow along the, the, what's going on here. The Lord said to me, take the equipment of a foolish shepherd. I'm about to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are perishing, and he will not seek the lost or heal the broken. He will not sustain the healthy, but he will devour the flesh of the fat sheep. So he, in other words, he's saying, if this is what they want, we're just gonna, I'm just going to give it over to them. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May a sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm wither away and his right eye go completely blind. So this is the curse being cast on this. So you move forward. So the people are rejecting God. They're rejecting his shepherd. And then it says in verse 10, he, he talks about um, he, he talks about in verse 10 that I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David. Later on, after all these things come to place, and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me, whom they pierced. They will realize what they've done. They'll they'll have grace once again. They'll they'll look at what they've done. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. Again, that is just ripe, <laughs> ripe with uh, theological meaning. Um, 
The, the announcement, here's, here's what one commentator says, the announcement of God's blessing on Jerusalem shifts to spiritual reconciliation, which is dependent on divine grace and human contrition. The inter- interpretive crux is the identity of me whom they pierced, especially when the prophet declared they will mourn for him. The best explanation is that is that God's true followers will recognize that by their disobedience and rejection of the divine shepherd, they will in fact have pierced God's soul. And their remorse, family after family, will weep with the deepest bitterness imaginable. And this this anticipates Jesus' crucifixion, as was indicated by John 19.37, when this very passage of Scripture was quoted, they will look at the one they pierced when they pierced Jesus' side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much. There's so much. And I, I talk to people, you know, often about this and and it always comes up well then if these were such if these were such prophetic things how how did the people of that time period miss it and it's like well we got to remember we're looking back at these scriptures going wait a minute that's what that meant and and they were still looking for something to come they were still looking for the messiah in their eyes was a was a warring messiah a battling messiah and so even though maybe some of this stuff would have been being said you know there's a good chance that it would have fallen on ears that were not prepared to hear it well and dr gary yates uh i had him some for some classes in old testament and and actually with this uh this very issue of of prophecy um, and he, he looks at it as being uh, uh, an issue of what he calls telescoping in prophecies. And the best way to envision this is, you know, Curtis, you live in the mountains of, of, uh, of Montana. I live in the mountains of Appalachia and, and North Carolina. When we look at mountains in a, in a mountain range and we look at it from a distance, we, we may see two peaks of a mountain and it looks like they're just side by side real close to one another. But when we go up those mountains and we see that the mountains themselves may actually be a, a, a quite a distance away of several miles, if sometimes maybe even hundreds of miles, but just the way they look at a distance, it looks like they're just right up next to each other, you know, kind of an optical illusion. Well, the same thing happens with prophecy in this instance. Some of the prophecies were intended to, be, to, to have been fulfilled during the first coming of the Messiah. And other prophecies were intended to be fulfilled during the second coming of the Messiah. So if you're living in this period and you don't know that that's going to take place, which is only by the revelation of God that we know that, if you don't know that's going to take place, then you're going to think of those mountains being right next to one another and as if this, the, all of these things are going to take place together when in reality they're separated. So that's why we also have to be very cautious with prophecy looking toward the future, I think we are given all the core details of what's going to take place. But there may be some spans, there may be a span of time or spans of time between certain events that we just don't know right now. But after we've gone through it, when we're in heaven, we're looking back at it, we're going to think, oh yeah, it was right there, how did we miss it? But now before it happens, it may be like those mountain peaks right next to each other that look very close but they may be spread out by several hundred miles. Mm. Yeah. 
that's uh, amazing to to think about when when you're when you're understanding how how stories and how thoughts would have been at that time period you know partial fulfillment um you know were they really um thinking that it was going to be fulfilled 100% each one of them or were they were they of the understanding Brian that that it would have been um a partial fulfillment or could be a partial fulfillment and, and you know like an already but not yet type thing um like we would understand it um well i you know? I, I, I don't know um th- See, that's that's part of the issue. So, so for Pharisees, with, with messianic expectation in the Second Temple Judaism, for Pharisees and for the Essenes, it was undeniable they believed that there was going to be a, a resurrection of the righteous at the end of time. They they believed in the resurrection of the righteous and even the resurrection of the unrighteous. That wasn't a revolutionary concept within early Christianity. Um, that. Because if you go back to the story of the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11, you see when Jesus asks Martha if she believes that Lazarus will rise again, she says, of course, I believe that he'll raise, rise at the last day. That, that wasn't unique. What was unique was the fact that the Messiah would rise three days after his own crucifixion on a tree. Uh now we see it here. We see this rejection. We see these things taking place, and we see the picture that happens uh, with through these prophecies. But again, you know, if you're looking for, as you hit the nail on the head a while ago, Curtis, if you're looking for a militant, a militant political savior, you may not be looking for. These things like the suffering Messiah, the suffering servant in Isaiah, which we'll talk about, or the good shepherd rejected in Zechariah uh, chapters 10 through 13. You may not be looking for that. You, you're looking for that guy who's going to come down and drive the Romans out. I mean, I think if people in, let's say if, if, if uh, the Messiah came in Ukraine with the Russian invasion right now, the, the thing they're thinking about is get the Russians out of here. You know, we don't want them here. The same thing happened in Israel. They didn't want the Ro- they didn't want Roman oversight over them. They wanted them out. So That's a good point. I think it's the same thing. I think even though it was there, um, I think that on the one hand they um, they wanted ro- the Romans gone, but on the other hand, to be fair about it as well, we've got to remember that while they meditated on scriptures and while they had them readily available at the synagogues. They didn't have them readily available in, home, in their homes. So it wasn't as if they had a copy of their, their Bible in front of them and watching these events take place and say, oh, I see it right there. Right. They had it at the synagogues, and if and then only a few people were privy or, or, or had the uh, ability to go to the synagogue and read through them and, and have them right there. I mean, people were working. You're talking about working-class people. Uh, so I, I can honestly see how it would be easy for people to miss it Especially with considering the things that they were going through during that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I just, I, I just think of things like, um, hmm, think of things that were even being said at that time period at, at of as Jesus was being questioned and and uh, you know. Um, 
accused and and convicted and when Caiaphas says it it is um expedient essentially i'm going to paraphrase it's expedient for one man to die for the whole nation i don't really think you know <laughs> that he was knowing he was speaking prophecy but we look back at it written in the words of scripture and say whoa definitely the holy spirit was speaking through him without him knowing it yeah and i think that i think that happens a lot of times i think that uh there is uh there are times where the spirit is speaking uh something to a person and and maybe it was like with david i think he's he's Mm. primarily thinking of some of the things going on but the lord through divine insight gives him uh insight into something that's going to happen to another righteous servant uh, um, um, an anointed one uh a Messiah. That's what we're talking about, an anointed one, but one who would be the ambassador of God, God's emissary, God's representative, God's man, uh, or even God's uh, divine agent, we could say. Um, so so I, I, th- I think there were parallels that the Lord made through the human experience. And, and by the way, I think that when we're going through things in life, while we need to make sure, now let me just give a corrective on this, we need to make sure we understand the literal interpretation of Scripture. We don't need to have a reader response theory at all. I'm not arguing for that at all, so just want to correct that. But I do think that as we're, we're understanding the literal interpretations of Scripture, as we're going through times of betrayal, as we're going through times of heartache and, and, and having the world seemingly come against us, we can go back and better appreciate the things that our Good Shepherd went through. So there's a there's a connection that can be made through our experience uh, back to the things that Jesus Himself endured and experienced. Hmm. So interesting. Well, we could spend a lot of time on this stuff. <laughs> so, uh, what about his experience uh, in in the Garden of Gethsemane? So, in verse in Psalm fifty. Um, Verses four through nine. Let, let, let's um, let me first of all go here and say, um, Zion is described in this psalm as the mother of God's people. God is the father of the peoples. But when we talk about mother, we're not talking about a literal mother. Mother, we're talking about the city of God. Okay, not mother. <laughs> I'll get my words out right here in a minute. But Zion is to be is described as this uh, this bride, so to speak. God is the father of his people, and so um, so we see that because of the problems, he put away Zion, uh, but did not divorce her. Uh, God sold his children, but did not settle a debt. Uh, in verse one, God expressed wonder in verse two uh, that his children, his people, did not uh, expect redemption. Uh, in in verse three, we see that, uh, that that he talks of sackcloth. Um, the heavens mourn because of God's act of judgment that was coming. 
But notice he says in verse 4 and following, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are instructed to know how to sustain the weary with a word. He awakens me each morning. He awakens my ear to listen like those being instructed. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn back. I gave my back. Here's the servant, the suffering servant. I gave my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. You know, we hear of if even the beard being ripped off uh, or the hairs being ripped out of Jesus' beard. Here, here's where we make that connection. I did, my, did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. The Lord God will help me. Therefore, I have not been humiliated. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I will. I know I will not be put to shame. The one who vindicates me is near, who will contend with me. Let us confront each other. Who has a case against me? Let him come near me. In truth, the Lord God will help me. Who will condemn me? Indeed, all of them will wear out like a garment, a moth will devour them. So in verses 4 through 5, the servant is identified with Christ. In verses 6 through 7, uh, the servant is one who suffers, though God will keep him from shame. This is an illusion found to the resurrection. We'll come back to that coming next week. And then uh, verses 8 through 9 talks about this suffering servant being a sinless servant in, in these verses as well. So here again, uh, the Gethsemane shows forth the the rejection and and uh, turning him over to the authorities uh, by one who knew him well. Hmm. Yeah, isn't that funny though? I was just going to say though, Brian. I think in the beginning of this, I think in in uh, when we started this. Um, this question you said psalm 50 oh but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm certain you meant isaiah 50 <laughs> yeah i'm sorry yeah isaiah 50 yeah, uh, yeah absolutely but, isaiah 50 but here's but here's here's something that's uh, here's something that's interesting when 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 you did that you said uh psalm 50 um I was kind of just breezing over it real quick while you said that. I was like, wait a minute, I think it's Isaiah. But it, look at verse 2. It says, out of Zion, the per- perfection of beauty of God shines forth. Wow. Wow. And then verse 4, he calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. And that's in Psalm 50. Yeah, that's in Psalm 50. <laughs> well, who so, knows? Maybe the Spirit was leading us to both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Oh, man. When we when we see the Isaiah fifty, and when when you said in verse four, so it says here in my in my in mine it's the ESV. It says the Lord God has given me the tongue of of those who are taught that I may know. How to sustain with a word him who is weary. And he was a rabbi. Mm-hmm. He was a teacher. He was a teacher of teachers. Hmm. Do Amazing. You, do you find a parallel between that and Jesus' teaching where he says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will yeah. give you rest? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We were actually talking about that um, at dinner the other night. 
one of my daughters said, you know, the yoke, what, what does that mean? And so we were kind of talking about it. I was like, well, it's a picture. A yoke is is a piece of wood that goes between two animals and they pull and one can, you know, they both can pull equally and they, they actually can pull um, four times their weight or, or a certain number of their weight um, of each one of them, you know, by themselves, they can actually double or triple or quadruple, however, whatever the, the mathematical portion is. But the other, the other meaning of that is a Hebrew is in Hebrew means teaching a yoke. And, and as the rabbis and the teachings were going on of that time period were so heavy with 613 more laws and all of the other stuff that was being put on by the, by the other teachers of that time period, Jesus speaks up and says, come to me, my teaching, my yoke, my, my understanding, what you will understand from me is lighter, is easy. It, it will give you rest. It will give you peace and comfort and, and joy. Mm. It's amazing when we look at it that way. Absolutely. So, and then you had Isaiah 53 marked out on this. And I'm curious to see what you're going to say here on this. Yeah, so, so what was the last question? Well, I guess we need to ask the last question before we go there. Oh, well, it says... It says, uh, number five, is well, what about his experience in Gethsemane? And number five, you have Isaiah 53, 6 marked down. Oh, yeah, that's actually supposed to be the next one. <laughs> oh, okay, for number six, then. So, number six, it says, what texts speak of the Messiah's uh, vicarious suffering uh, on the cross? And there's a lot there, and I think... The biggest or the the most clearest picture, obviously, is Isaiah fifty three. Um, where do we want to go with that then? Wow, there's a lot. There's a lot we could talk about, and it. And I don't think we have time tonight to go through it, but it might be something we want to do maybe next week, if we, if time permits, to look at all the servant uh, of the Lord hymns or the servant of the lord uh texts that we f- see or even just kind of give an over overview of the servant of the lord texts in in the book of isaiah because isaiah is the by far and away the most quoted prophet in the entire new and in, in the new testament um right zechariah is probably is probably number two because there's a lot in Zechariah, but Isaiah is definitely number one. Uh, and many people have even called Zechariah uh, the the fifth gospel, especially Isaiah 53. So when we talk about vicarious suffering, we're talking here, of course, about um, the servant of the Lord. By the way, there's a lot of New Testament connotations in the teaching of Jesus about the servant of the Lord. Uh, this this good shepherd, this servant coming to be a divine um, ambassador for the Lord, a divine agent for the Lord, uh, but this servant suffers on behalf of the Lord, or suffers on really more along the lines of the path, half the people we see, especially in Isaiah 53. And we're going to probably come back and read the entire chapter next week because there's some compelling things uh, toward the end of this that we will need to discuss, and we don't want to really go into that tonight uh, just to kind of uh, uh, get you to come back next week to really look more as we look at the resurrection, some powerful stuff there. But if the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, uh, we see that there are sections where it talks about uh, the vicarious 
um, work of the Lord, a work of the servant. And, and Curtis, while we're reading this, I want to ask if you will to turn to First Peter chapter two, verses twenty-one through twenty-five. Uh, once again, that's First Peter chapter two, verses twenty-one through twenty-five. And I'm going ahead. And go, I will go ahead and read uh, these two verses. Isaiah fifty-three verses six and nine says this, I gave my back, no, I'm sorry, that's the wrong chapter, still in chapter 50. Um, verse 6, now keep in mind also, now Isaiah came well ahead of Zechariah, but still, keep in mind that revelation that was given to Zechariah about the good shepherd and some of these other passages that we've read tonight. Now he says in verse 6, we all went uh, like sheep went astray. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him, the servant, for the iniquity, the sin of us all. He has punished him, the servant, for the iniquity of us all. And then, verse 9 says this, He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with the rich man at his death, because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Let's take a look to, at how uh, the New Testament uh, views views this passage of Scripture in First Peter chapter two, verses twenty-one through twenty-five. So twenty-one, it says, "For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was." Hmm, was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten Oof. but mm. continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now, it's important for us to understand. Now, yes, the, the Christians were looking at this as believers in Yeshua, as Jesus, as the Messiah. But there are many people who say that fifty-three Isaiah 53 was talking about the people of God. And they base this, this on much later... Uh, rabbinic literature well after the time of, of Christianity. And most 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 cases that may have very well come from uh, anti-Christian apologists uh, or apologists against Christianity, because I mean, we're talking about several hundreds of years uh, past the time of Christ that some of these things came about. What we're seeing here in the New Testament is a very early interpretation of Isaiah 53 being a suffering servant, uh, yep. being the divine servant of the Lord. And yep. so... Peter obviously saw that. Now, Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, uh, this is kind of sandwiched in between those two verses we just read. Verses 7 and 8 says this, He was oppressed and afflicted, uh, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate, for he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. So, Curtis, would you mind reading Acts chapter 8, 
uh, verses 32 through 35. There's... Mm. There's several other passages we could we could mention here. Uh, you could you know we could talk about Revelation five six, Revelation five twelve, Revelation right. thirteen eight. Uh, but let's just take a look at Acts eight thirty two through thirty five for the sake of time. So so thirty two says now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this: <laughs> like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shearers silent. So he opens his not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Mm. Yeah. Powerful, powerful. Yeah. And then last... and that was the that was the eunuch, um, the Ethiopian eunuch, um, reading the scriptures as Philip was told. In prayer, he was told to go go that direction, and came upon the eunuch reading this in his chair, in his uh, basically his stagecoach or in his in his, in his uh, chariot, and found uh, w- was asking him, "Do you understand what you're reading?" And uh, I think that's powerful because when he says, "I think the eunuch says right after he says, how can I understand unless somebody explains it to me?'" Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Mm. Mm. And and then Curtis, we want to ask you to look over to uh, Romans chapter four, verse twenty-five. As I read this last verse uh, again, we're going to come back to fifty-three next week. We may even need to give an overview of the servant psalms, songs. I think they're called, um, and kind of see see what Isaiah does with a suffering servant. But but really, there's a few verses in fifty-three we want to focus on, and uh, some others. Uh, as next week, as we talk about uh, some the resurrection of Christ, and some powerful stuff here. So, but we'll conclude the podcast tonight uh, with Isaiah fifty three verse twelve. And um, before I read this and give Curtis a little extra time to get to his passage of scripture, just kind of as a side note here, uh, Curtis has a special teaching for us after the credits tonight on Passover, and I hope that you'll stay tuned and listen to that. He does an excellent job, and so be sure. Uh, we, we, we've got a little overtime going on uh, on tonight's podcast uh, with some wonderful teachings. We'll hope you stay tuned for that. Uh, you, you'll, you will be blessed if you do. And so Isaiah 53, verse 12 says this, Therefore I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as a spoil, because he, was, he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of, listen, mm, yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. And what does the high priest do when he goes into the into the holy of holies? He intercedes. Mm. Absolutely. Intercedes for us. Wow. So Romans four, verse twenty-five. Yes, sir. So it says, "For who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification." Let me close with this last passage of Scripture, Hebrews 9, 28, actually 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, 
but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. You know, I want to say a couple things before we close. Number one, as Friday, we're, we're publishing this on on Wednesday of Holy Week. This this Friday, I hope you'll take time to uh, pause on Good Friday and and remember a few times during the day at um, nine o'clock in the morning. That represents the time that Jesus was crucified to the cross. Right about noon, uh, the scriptures tell us that the uh, sky went dark. And um, it was about that time, uh, I, I believe it was around that time that Jesus says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me because of the darkness that ensued? And then at 3 p.m., Jesus gave up the ghost. Somewhere before 6 p.m., because 6 p.m. begins the, the Jewish day, uh, that and then that day would have been that time would have started past a bit would have started uh, the Sabbath day somewhere I, I would dare say around four or five o'clock Jesus must have been buried it was a very hasty thing that was done and and had to be they had to speedily do that before six p.m. so this Friday um, just remember the the times nine twelve noon and three p.m. especially and and maybe even. Uh, around four or five p.m., you know, as as Jesus would have been buried around that time, um, powerful stuff. And let's also remember as the passage of scripture we just read, and as as a as a concluding thought tonight, all these things we're talking about, you know, with the incarnation of Christ at Christmas, with the death, burial, and resurrection at Easter, there's 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 a celebration of the things that Jesus has done already. But as we, we just mentioned in, in uh, Hebrews 9, um, 28, he's going to come again. Not only do we celebrate what has been done, we anticipate what he will do when he returns and fulfill the prophecies that are yet to come. And we've talked about Amen. prophecies that he has fulfilled. There are many, many other prophecies that he haven't, hasn't. And let me just say this. One biblical scholar, and I can't remember his name offhand, but he counted and said for every one prophecy that Jesus fulfilled in the first coming, there are eight prophecies that describe what he will fulfill in the second coming. So there's a whole lot of prophecy yet to be fulfilled. And if and as we look at this, and we'll, we'll come back to this thought, as we look at this and remember the ways that God has fulfilled these prophecies in Jesus already, remember he will He will fulfill with great precision the things that are written of him in the second coming. Hmm. Yeah, and we if we understand it, God, God's got his moeds, his appointed times. And those appointed times, he set aside special dates, special times, and I do believe, I do believe that Passover is a is a special time for us to reunite and understand what what is going on in the heavens, what's happening right now. Just just like in 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 the end of the end of the year, um, as we approach into Yom Kippur, if we understand that season, that's a that's an appointed time that God has slated for us to meet with him so let's take this time folks let's take this time and and really make this about a time that jesus actually set 
on his calendar, his godly calendar, a Moed, appointed time to come be with us, spend time with us, teach, become the lamb, be sacrificed to cover our sins. Hmm. Something that we could never do. And something we could never do in front of God. We would be of, of wood and hay and stubble at the base of the sun. But Jesus has made us to where we can actually endure the heat of that sun. So let's take the time there, folks. And we we here at Bellator Christi want to thank you for spending time together with us. And we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as you strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and become a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. Until next time, Brian and I say, Soldier on, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Hello, folks. I uh, just want to take a little bit of time. This is Curtis Evelo here. Kind of uh, want to take a little bit of a, you know, kind of like we're sitting on the couch, um, visiting around the coffee table and talk about the special time of season that we're in right now. Right now, we're in a season that is known all across the world um, to Jews and Christians alike, and it's called Passover. And I want to kind of give you a little scripture kind of maybe do a little teaching on it and just kind of kind of help you get a better better understanding of what of what we're in right now and what it actually means when we hear the name or the words the lamb of god right now we're in a season where Moses had directed the Israelites to do certain things um after the nine plagues that he put on Egypt, there was a tenth one he was getting ready to do, that God told him to do. And I'm going to read a portion of that, um, a, a portion of after, or what God was telling him was going to happen, <clears throat> what was the, the, the covenant and, the, and the, uh, the tradition that was going to happen uh, and continue throughout the rest of, of life. Uh, the rest of the the seasons um, from then until now. Um, that's the thing that is amazing to me is all around the world here soon, there's going to be what's called a Passover Seder, and there's going to be the celebration of the Passover. Uh, and so here I go. I'm going to read Exodus 12, verse 21 through 27. You can follow along if you want. 
or you can just write it down and go back and read it and let let the words of the scripture the things in the very book that we read let them be the things that inspire you to understand what what is being said here it says verse 21 then moses called all the elders of israel and said to them go and select lambs for yourselves according to the clans and kill the passover lamb take a bunch of hyssop dip it into the into the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintels the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning for the for the lord will pass through to strike the egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts the lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter the enter your house and strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as He has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, "What do you mean by this service?" you shall say, "It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover." For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians by sparing our house. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Now I'm going to read out of the New Testament. We're going to go into John. And we're going to read the very words of John the Baptizer. John the Immerser. And he was what was considered we did we touched on this in the podcast before that he was considered the forerunner to jesus and so here he says in john 1 verses 24 it says it says here it says now they had been sent from the pharisees so these are people questioning john who he is and what he's doing they asked him then why are you baptizing if you are neither the christ nor elijah nor the prophet John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he who I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. So then we go into Matthew, Matthew 26. And what I wanted to point out is we're already starting to see what, what is kind of being laid forth here throughout the, throughout the Gospels. And throughout the uh, the New Testament writings, you'll find the reference of the Lamb of God. And what does that really mean to us? Well, if we look back at Exodus and we understand, it says, go kill the lamb for the sacrifice. Put the blood on the doorposts and then over the top. And the Lord, the death angel, will pass over. So if we understand that the lamb of god then we understand what the, what is being said here that jesus is becoming the passover lamb once and for all 
the sins of the world will be taken care of. There will need to be no more lambs sacrificed. This is once and for all final stamp. God says it is done. So in Matthew 26, 20, uh, verse 26, or verse 17, that, uh, let me read that real quick. We're going to go into, it says here, it says the, the heading of it says, Passover with the disciples. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he says, Go into the city, a certain man, and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand, and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. So what he's doing is the Passover lamb is actually having a Passover Seder, celebrating the Passover of himself. He's actually taking time with his disciples, explaining what each and every one of those things on the table as they eat what it's meaning, and what the, what's, what's going to end up being for him. So in Matthew 26, verse 26, 229, it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after the blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day, until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Powerful as we as we consider this. But it gets even better as we go into Revelation. Revelation 5. And we understand now what what is what Jesus is kind of setting up and saying is he is becoming God's Passover lamb. He is he is becoming the, the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God. So let's go into Revelation 5, verses 6 through 9, and says in verse 6, and between the throne of the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing. As though it had been slain, with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are seven spirits of God, set, sent out into the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who had seated, who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain. And by, the blood, by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, and every people, and every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign. Powerful stuff when we consider what is being said there. Even in Revelation, it says, notice the lamb that had been slain. He's, he, was, he was the image of Christ dying on the cross for our sins, covering it. It's that blood. When we hear people say, be covered by the blood of Jesus, 
But we have to understand that that actually started in Exodus. There is actually a plan put forth. Our God, the very God that we bow a knee to, put this plan into motion to save his people and to provide a place and a sacrifice for us to be rescued. Just something to consider as we go into this season. It's not just about Easter, which is an awesome day, you know, about the resurrection, but it's also about how God had put this plan into place and it all culminates at the cross.